Welcome back to Market Meditations. We're jumping into a segment of what we call the Unmarket Update. I think that's what Chris wanted to call it. <laughs> I feel like the market must have worn you down today. <laughs> well, it's been um, it's been on a tear. You know, I um, I feel a little bit unsettled by it. I feel a lot like I did in 1999. I was a lot greener then. But um, there's just so much that certainly doesn't make financial sense, uh, except when you incorporate the idea of more stimulus coming. But to have um, financial markets that are just wholly dependent on stimulus is certainly unhealthy and unsustainable. So that's the sort of um, dilemma I find myself in between Schiller and and Charbatus, right, <laughs> of the Great Odyssey, between two uh, a passage between two difficult and um, dangerous outcomes. I mean, look, we all know Tesla's been in quite a single stock mania lately, but to have a stock market valuation that's over almost seven hundred billion which exceeds the world's top 10 automakers values. Well, no, no, I, I was looking at it. It was like, um, that means that people are valuing it at $1.5 million per car sold, where other car companies are valued like $5,000 per car sold. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other car companies, the top 10, sell 140 times the number of vehicles, and they sell them profitably, let's not forget. <laughs> I don't understand why you don't understand this. This makes total sense to me, Chris. Yeah, there you have it. Just Neil, ask a kid, you should, I need you ask a kid about which part of his should be the pie. Mm -hmm. A very hungry kid. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you've got Tesla there. <laughs> we'll probably see that uh, third eye light up that... Uh, Michael was talking about in this when you mentioned Tesla to someone who's a fan in the MRI machine. But uh, outside of that, from a financial standpoint, I know there's brand loyalty, but this this is really remarkable. But you you know, it's not just limited to Tesla. You have, as we've talked about before, companies like Shopify at nearly sixty times sales. Neil, it's just out. Does some of that start to make sense on a Shopify meaning and and please say no, right? That's okay. Mm -hmm. um, Shopify is here to stay, I would say. Mm -hmm. I would um, say that too. Yeah. And you know, we're all we all understand that e-commerce may be better now than retail. I'm mm -hmm. not so sure people truly understood that a few years ago. Consumers did. Um, mm -hmm. They un they they'd used e-commerce, of course, but now they're saying, "Hey, 90% of what we can do via e-commerce." Hell, I bought fruit from a website called MiamiFruit.com. That's a Shopify website. Right. Um, right. I could never have imagined that, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and I I wonder if it's going to continue to grow and I haven't been I haven't tried to do the math on this but is Shopify not potentially worth 60 times um no I think it's a valuable company Square and Shopify are uh fine companies but the valuations are stretched you know you've got money losers like Twilio at 31 times sales um 
squares at a 325 price to earnings multiple. Wow. Roku's a money loser. That's 26 times sales. I mean, these are, I remember Scott McNeely back in uh, 1999 being asked if he thought the dot-com craze was indeed crazy. And he said, you know what's crazy? Sun Microsystems at 13 times sales. That's crazy. (laughs) And now we have companies that are many, many multiples of that. Um, trading in on ether um i guess if you have actual earnings that's like a stone that weighs you down so it's best just to be priced to fantasy and the hope that these markets will continue to expand to infinity but well so i know you don't invest in bitcoin either and i i was on the phone the other day or yesterday mm-hmm. or something and bitcoin hit 40,000 mm-hmm. and i was like mm-hmm. it is the price of bitcoin and these other digital currencies um, also tied similarly to the stock market's mania? Oh, yeah. I think it's a speculative frenzy, for sure. It's speculative, for sure, but is it tied? Like, when we see the stock market drop, are we going to finally see these cryptocurrencies also drop? Yeah, I mean, it's probably an unfortunate comparison, but if you remember, there was a Beanie Baby craze back in 1999. <laughs> and look. Yes, I, yeah. I do remember. Yeah. I remember people getting divorced and fighting, spending yeah. a lot of money on that Beanie Baby uh, collection. Yes, that uh, ultimately proved worthless. And I'm not sure that's the same route, of course, Bitcoin or certainly Ether will take. It seems like there's certain value there. I'm not sure as a currency, but currently, you know, the speculative mood is very fervent. And, uh, and you know, in... I guess what is uh, Bitcoin's stock market or market cap is about the same as Netflix, you know, some 360 billion or so. Um, So the proponents would argue there's a lot of room to grow. (laughs) And others would say, well, there's not really been a convincing use case yet laid out for Bitcoin. Ether is a little different, I guess. You know, these smart contracts change the world a bit uh, in terms of what um, use cases seem reasonable and potentially viable. But yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of money floating around, a lot of debt, a lot of stimulus, and it is finding its way into just the most remarkable corners of the market. I'm curious a little bit about uh, the definition of a correction again. What does it actually look like when we see a proper correction? And to me, that doesn't mean, you know, a single day drop and suddenly we're back there, you know, three weeks later. That's not really a correction to me, even if that's how it's defined in, in the world. A correction is when prices start to come back to realistic, um, based on actual value, right? Like what is a company worth, you know, comparison to what yeah. it could be built for? Yeah. I, I, um, well, certainly, you know, interest rates have collapsed and that has lifted all asset prices because comparatively to try to find a decent or safe return, you're pushed out farther and farther along the risk spectrum to achieve a decent return. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, when I look at things in the world today, I mean, even um, Apple, slow growing, 
I mean, 17 months ago, it was the first company to cross a trillion dollars in market cap. And today that values 2.26 trillion or so in stock market capitalization. And I mean, the company's growing very slowly. Um, what's really happened is the multiples have expanded. I mean, back 17 months ago, it was in the you know, low single-digit PE range, and now it's around 40 times earnings is where the stock's trading. It hasn't really grown. I think when those kinds of multiples contract again, we'll see um, better investment opportunities, and that's a correction. But we also have other phenomena, like uh, the Russell 2000, small and mid-cap index. About 40% of those companies are zombie companies. They don't even earn enough to service their debt. So they have to continue to go to uh, the public markets for financing, either selling shares, of course, or issuing debt. And um, this is fascinating to me because I've never seen anything like this sustained for such a long time on the um, gullibility, <laughs> the, the, on the whim of investors. So I just um, I find well, it's that not even just that, right? It's some of it's being propped up, like you said, by low interest rates in the federal government, yeah. also, or the Fed actually um, making sure that they're buying everything they can. But ultimately, you know, companies like uh, Tesla or uh, or the third or more of the Russell two thousand index, all those companies really have to keep coming to investors for cash infusions, and so. Uh, they definitely are running on uh, investors' hopes, you know. Um, but still, as long as the money is out there and we keep getting more stimulus, at least for now, it seems that uh, the markets could kite higher. Do you think that even with a major correction that the what we've talked a lot about um, comparing tech companies to oil companies of the 80s, mm -hmm. um, do you think even with a major correction that the tech companies can can grow leaps and bounds larger over the next, we'll call it 10 or 15 years? Can can uh, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google um, all get to Amazon, get to you know double their value or triple their value over the next 10 to 15 years, which is massive, obviously, as a company size? Um, well, it's certainly true that they could. Um... And well, I mean, it's. I guess it's certainly true. You know, both of us could, uh, you know, explode randomly right now. <laughs> um, so, you know, I guess that's certainly a true statement. There's a non-zero probability of it. Mm -hmm. um, but take me through what, you know, how you actually look at something like that. Well, if um, first, if interest rates remain low, and historically interest rates do move at a glacial pace. So when interest rates last bottomed um, in 1946-ish, um, you know, 12 years later, interest rates were still but, uh, you know, a quarter of a percent higher than they were at the bottom. It was a very slow process. Um, of course, it accelerated through the 60s and 70s with the advent of more inflationary pressures uh, and then some hyperinflation. And we may yet see that here. Um, we're sort of repeating ourselves in a historical sense. But the 
interest rates can bottom and go lower and stay that way for a long time, and that would seemingly support these these uh, multiple expansions and extreme valuations. So in Apple, for example, which hasn't grown much, could still see more multiple expansion in a very low interest rate environment or one where we see negative interest rates. So there are many um, supporting factors. And of course, you know, some of the valuations have grown for very good reasons. The advent of COVID has meant more people working from home and relying on the technological um, gifts that we've been given from companies like Microsoft and the streaming from Netflix. And so we've seen a lot of that uh, take hold and there are some solid reasons for that. But really, when I look back, Microsoft's a great example. You know, in 1999, 2000, Microsoft was trading at 72 times earnings. And um, it's a great company. And after 2000, when the stock market fell, the shares of Microsoft fell, along with the broader stock market and tech markets. And it wasn't until 2016, a full 16 years later, before that share price recouped its previous loss and regained uh, a new high. So from 2000 to 2016, if you were a latecomer and had purchased those Microsoft shares, most likely you would have been out, <laughs> lost your patience and left. But what really happened under the hood? Microsoft grew their revenues 400%. The company expanded fourfold during that 16-year window, and yet the stock price, which started from a very, very high precipice, took a long, long, long time to digest that growth and recover from, from such a high uh, valuation. Intel had just done it this year, I think. It's just uh, finally uh, reclaimed the share price it had enjoyed back in 2000. So that's a 20-year window. So sometimes, you know, it, you know, you can manage the risks by not overpaying. And that's really our kind of focus. How do you manage the risks and think about all the probabilities? There's an old saying that has always stuck with me. Good things happen to cheap stocks. I don't know if the obverse is always true, that bad things happen to expensive stocks, but... <laughs> and certainly, it's not a uniform truth. Uh, sometimes you do buy a melting ice cube and wish you hadn't. But And so during the Great Depression, were there asset classes or sectors that were still growing and doing well in the markets? Uh, during the Great Depression, yeah, there were. Um, mostly commodity-related, certainly in the extractive industries of uh, gold mining and precious metals did well. Um, but uh, by and large, you know, you had transportation, shipping, um, a lot of industries which uh, fell apart. Um, there was growth from the 1932 period to 37, 38. Um, a lot of that was uh, also on the, on the back of stimulus uh, programs. But the uh, the damage, again, kind of like the Microsoft example, was from people having paid such fancy prices in 26, 27, 28, and 29 um, that even these low values uh, were not attractive and people shunned equities generally. This is the basic argument we've had over the last 10 years 
in the hydrocarbon and uh, space now, oil and gas have been shunned. You know, the Church of England just said they're going to divest of all oil and oil-related equities. Uh, CalPERS has said it. The Church of England, of course. <laughs> I don't really know that I count them as like a phenomenal source for anything other than um, sharing religious beliefs with their with their patronage. Are you talking about CalPERS or the Church of England? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but um, but you know that 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 divestiture has made those shares, oil and oil-related equities in particular, very cheap, and uh, it's certainly something we still need. Um, and so you'll see this in sometimes writ large across many industrial sectors, sometimes with specificity like this. So. So, I mean, what is the most common questions you're getting from your clients or that you expect to get over the next few weeks? Well, it's really funny. You know, I, I'm lucky I'm in the catbird seat. Um, I have a lot of clients who want more. Um, they want more exposure to the market because it's rising. Those are usually my canaries in the coal mine. So they warn me that things are a bit too rich. Um, um, and sometimes <laughs> is that some of the same people every cycle? Oh yeah, yeah. There there are familiar personalities where people feel like they're missing out, um, and um, many of them uh, take our counsel, and some don't. Um, you know, in in the two thousand era, we lost a few clients uh, because we were considered to be too conservative, um, and I always think of. Like today, you know, one of the most popular ETFs is this ARK investment ETF run by a lady named Kathy Wood. Um, she's famously featured on CNBC quite frequently. She loves Tesla, too. Oh, yeah. Tesla's about <laughs> the number 10, one holding, right? 11% of her portfolio. <laughs> yeah, but she's got them all. She's got Shopify and Roku and um, Square, you know, you name it. The price doesn't matter. But it's an echo of the past. You know, there was a 30-year-old fund manager named Ryan Jacob who was a CNBC favorite. And he started the Jacob Internet Fund um, back in 1999. And he was a frequent guest. And, you know, the, the prices didn't matter. Uh, the, sh the fund was going up and people were interested in what he had to say. Um, until the fund, of course, by 2002, had lost 95.8% of its value. Um, I don't know if that's in the offing for Kathy Wood and ARC, but something similar will certainly occur. I mean, 60 times sales. I'm with you, Scott McNeely. 13 times sales is ridiculous. 60 times sales is unfathomable. But it's here, and it's real. <laughs> uh, are, are you still um, so you, you are bullish on some of the sectors we've talked about in the past still um, commodities yeah some of the shipping stuff I think we've talked about well I think yeah. you know my my role as an advisor is to protect and grow our clients wealth and um, in the market but in like that this, order right I mean especially in that order in times like this yeah the, the protection becomes paramount um, because the valuations are truly crazy. Um, there are areas where things are not as overvalued, and that's, of course, one way you can reduce the risk. Um, and that's what we have focused on. We can still get equity 
returns and invest in parts of the equity markets, but with much, much less risk to the principal and the savings of our clients. So yeah, that includes uh, commodities, especially now as the dollar continues to weaken. Um, and if you look across the board, whether it's um, rubber, <laughs> lumber, coffee, cocoa, soybeans, gold, silver, oil is now up over $50 a barrel. Morgan Stanley predicts it'll go to $190 a barrel. I don't know what they've based that on, so I'm <laughs> not validating or verifying that information. It could just be the sell side projecting a high Are number. Are soybeans going up quite a bit? Yeah, we've seen it in uh, the grains complex, corn, well, soybeans. Soybeans are interesting, right? Because they're they're uh, what's needed to make the synthetic cholesterol for the COVID vaccines that are currently on the market from Pfizer, uh, BioNTech, and Moderna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, but you have it's hard to synthesize that uh, with Roundup um, sprayed all over all of those crops. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, you know we're hearing bear, about some shortages. Uh, yeah, yeah. We know we're hearing about shortages, and you know I don't know how you're suddenly going to fix that, right? When, it, when, you, when a key ingredient is based on something that's difficult to acquire. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're seeing, you know, speaking of that, you know, you've got all the wonderful companies in India, like DV's Labs, which. Uh, um, will be producing a lot of the vaccines. A lot of that shifting um, there. So anyway, it's it shifted there a long time ago. I will just say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think uh, it, it's been interesting. I've been paying more attention to the biotech sector uh, because of it being a driver of um, sometimes med tech, but certainly biology innovation in general, which also includes med tech in the sector I invest in. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been kind of interesting to see um, and have conversations about. And I, I still kind of feel like healthcare is in this really interesting spot where despite the world going down, I think healthcare might end up being um, a little like uh, uh, commodities. Uh -huh. But I suppose anytime you can save money for anybody when, when the market's going down, that's probably going to be more interesting to the world. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think I see what you're saying, um, Neil. And, and certainly with the aging of the population, the expense uh, and spending on healthcare is going to be uh, dramatically enlarged. You've got a tailwind, basically, in the growth of those markets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's demographic in nature, and so that's structural, which is kind of uh, nice. Um, you know, I see that in other markets too. We've talked about other things outside of commodities, like um, royalty type businesses. Um, many of those are not as uh, value laden as we see in the commodity space. But um, you know, you've of course got high quality companies which are expensive, from PayPal um, and Venmo, which they own. It's just taken off. Um, to Visa and MasterCard, right? Um, where, uh, or Western Union even, where they'll earn a fee based on the amount of uh, the transfers. And as we have inflationary pressures and more money is going through that pipeline, so too will the fees earned uh, increase. Um, so that business model is very well suited 
for the near-term and medium-term future we see unfolding. Any other things you want to share with the uh, 122 families that you uh, think about every day? Yeah, we have to practice being compassionate and heroic bystanders. Um, all of what's been happening in this country certainly underscores that we need to practice deeper listening to each other. And if we see someone doing something we feel is not right, that we have the courage to speak up, stop them. Please don't break into the Capitol. Don't try to kidnap <laughs> a sitting governor. Those are not good ideas. Um, and really uh, try to look for the deeper truths uh, and the commonality we all share. People all want the best for their families, and they want a life of love and belonging. And I think um, certainly we can see many people aren't feeling that. So let's help them feel it. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Not the Front Page News. <laughs> Do you want to end with a bell, Chris? I think so. How about that? We get a chance to practice coming back to our breath. And being one with the body. <laughs>